he was at UCLA, um, where he was the director of leadership at UCLA, which that is a, that is a great title. And this is how I led to, so, so someone needs to hire Connor the Stallions as the director of espionage and scandal operations <laughs> and just be like, no, that's his job. You don't understand. It's that it's all very above board. He's on the payroll to like infiltrate, gain access to info. And also all scandals, <laughs> all scandals will be ran through him. Like what the, he's, it's a paid position. It's all very above he's like board. The, uh... He's like, what's the what's the uh, what's the Winter Soldier? What was that called? <laughs> He's like the the like group of assassins that can like do destabilize empires. Uh, the um the um the Hydra like, force or whatever. The the, the black uh the the um yeah Hydra. Oh no, the um people like the yeah, isn't it? Like you talk from like Marvel. Yeah, the yeah, Hydra. Hi, yeah, the Hydra. They're, they're, the Hydra yeah, they're, Kill they're, Squad. They're, they're the winner, he's a, one of the Winter Soldier projects. <laughs> they can take down an entire school before you even realize what happened. They can, they can infiltrate. <laughs> they, they were there. Yeah, they can, they can infiltrate. become any coach. <laughs> <laughs> they can become any coach, any AD. They can infiltrate any sideline, any program, any locker room before you even realize you've been hit. I mean, this is the most toss-up game. We're here, ladies and gentlemen. SB and Ross is untitled. Yo, 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 yo. College football podcast. Uh, here on a Sunday on conference champ, not conference championship. Sorry, divisional weekend. The best weekend of the of the NFL season. Divisional weekend. Here, you got on your toes, man. Sometimes you on Friday. Sometimes you on Sundays. What's up? Yeah. Yep. When we record. You never know. When we drop is always fairly consistent. It's like Monday, Tuesday within the week, sometimes a Wednesday, but it's usually top of the week. But we record different days. So right now we're here on a Sunday. So we got the end of a Iowa, Caitlin Clark's and Iowa's second loss of the season. Um, Ohio State bat- basketball did their thing. Um, I wanted to come off the top, especially if they won, but even in a loss, not like I'm going to doesn't change anything. I think Kayla Clark is the single best college athlete I've ever seen in terms of her level of play and dominance comparatively to not just the current field, but when you think all time, um, the stuff that she's doing. And I heard uh, another broadcaster say kind of comparatively, it, it was like watching early Wayne Gretzky or young Venus and Serena Williams or Tiger Woods or LeBron, or it's just like, there's certain things that when you're watching it live, you just know that this is like transformative. This is going to, this is something 
that you will never see the likes of again in terms of the talent and just also ability to carry otherwise team that would not be ranked i want to say i'm not going to say wouldn't be good or winning but certainly would not be ranked if you watch enough iowa games to know you take kayla clark off this team forget being number two and like 16 and two whatever they are they're not ranked um what first first player in college basketball history was 7,000 points what was it 300 or 300 rebounds 300 assists i believe career-wise, um, if you just say basketball, the best college basketball player I probably have ever seen just in one singular season, I say Carmelo Anthony at Syracuse. Who do you? Who would you say singular? Melo, KD. Yeah, I, th- I think KD. I think Melo at his freshman year at Syracuse. I think Jason Williams at his height at Duke. Yeah, I Steph think. Curry's. Yeah, Steph Curry's run through the that season. Steph Curry, Adam Morrison, maybe JJ Redick, maybe as far as like career success. And those, so those, and those, all those players to me, except you could say maybe Melo in 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 a different boat. I'm trying to think. Carolina, while they had some really great teams and players, it was never one player like you know a Hansborough or even a Ty Lawson and and Felton at the at the guard positions they were just they they were not transformative like in the sense that there were always other point guards that were in the same neighborhood as them or would come after or before them that were close enough so I'm trying to think of like transformative like a mellow mm. like a mellow we've never that unprecedented right uh, KD as a freshman, that height, those dimensions, that skill set, just effortlessly uh, scoring like that. I think he was the closest thing to Melo. And then you kind of talk about career, just like what they achieved. Yeah, over, over then, time. Then yeah, when I think about point. Morrison, Jay Williams, Reddick, uh, Hansborough, they, you know, turn, they, then you're talking more mm-hmm. accolades, uh, you know, because even singular season, I would say, uh, Jameer Nelson at, at, at St. Joseph's, singularly hard to say. Granted, they, you know, that was a hell of a team with Delonte and Matt Carroll, but singularly shooting wise or player wise, like what Jameer Nelson did that season is one of the better seasons, but just thinking of like those players. So I, I think Caitlin Clark is like, to me, across all you know, men's and women's, if you look just in the women's game, the only other player like her is Diana Tarazi in that neighborhood to me. Like, cause otherwise you're talking about a post player, like a Brittany Griner or Candace Parker, yeah, Leslie, like the, now you're talking about kind of the, yeah, Delana, Deladon. Those are more, the, super dominant, like, but in a a size strength advantage, and so skill set wise, and just being able to dominate and perform and hit game winners and triple double every time and just all the stuff, you know, just pure shooting, ball handling, vision, <laughs> does does have the size, does have the strength. Like across all, and I guess I'm just I mostly we watch college basketball and football. So when I say all college sports, but um, 
it, it, I, I kind of want to just say across all sports, it just kind of feels like when you watch Messi or, or, or Mbappe play soccer, it's just like a level of just like no one else is that. Like it's just her and then everyone else. Yeah, part of my barometer here is like, what player do you know exactly what they're going to do and they're going to do it anyway and you can't stop it? Right. Every time. They're not going to switch it up. <laughs> they're going to do what they do. You know what they're going to do. Everyone in the stadium, everyone watching what they're going to do, but you can't do anything about it. And that's yeah. where we get into the Caitlin Clark, Stephen Curry, mm-hmm. KD, that kind of stratosphere. Yeah, of just you know they're going to shoot or or – you know they're the main scoring option, but are elite at finding open teammates. So, you know, you run the double teams and, and those types of things, but at your own risk, that's dangerous. Um, court vision, I feel like that's the thing with her. It's just like Diana Tarazi was not the point guard court vision distributor that Caitlin Clark is. And that's not a knock. Diana Tarazi, I think, is the greatest you know, one of the greatest basketball players ever. But Kayla Clark's ability to find the open man, open woman and her own teammates attest to being like, I didn't even know I was open. And then Kayla Clark threw me the ball and apparently I was open. So here's, here's a layup. Um, that, I think that is just to me, you know, Steph Curry came back to Davidson that extra year to prove he was a point guard or that he could do that. Um, KD developed it over time, but that wasn't really his role. Like, yes, he could pass, but that wasn't really what he was tasked with doing in Texas. And same thing more with Melo. Melo was go get buckets, get rebounds, finish. You know, if the ball lands in your hands, we're not really asking you to move it much. So it's just her singular role of do everything. Like, do do everything on offense rebound, assist, score, um, casually shoot from midcourt, right? Just it's her, Steph Curry, that are the two people. J.J. Redick, at times, Jimmer Verdette, are the only people in the history of college basketball to just shoot from that range very casually. Um, So I just, like, I'm glad that we get to watch her. I'm glad that she goes to a Big Ten school, not a Pac-12 school, where we don't have our games on television. Um, and if the Indiana Fever indeed do get the top pick, I mean, they do have it, right? So her and Aaliyah Boston paired as teammates would be incredible. Well, that's what we also get to see. That's her going to Iowa and not going to Stanford or UConn and Notre Dame or some of these other powerhouses. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think she would be having the same career. Um, but yeah, because I could, I would. What you could argue is that if you put Sue Bird or Maya Moore in one of those situations, right? Will we see similar impact on the game if it's just them? Sure, and I guess yeah, that's a hypothetical that we don't know, and it's kind of the Steph, the, the Steph Curry going to Davidson thing versus if you went to you know an ACC school or a Big E school, could you? play this style every night you know it's it, it's different or you wouldn't get to play maybe like this because there'd be other players that would other five stars who get, need the, get ball. the ball exactly yeah 
So yeah, you could you could say that. Um, and I guess where we'll really get to see is at the next level when she does go pro. Um, if she's just a triple double machine in the W, it just does this on a nightly basis and then makes the Indiana Fever uh, perennial powerhouse and wins three, four, five championships and and does it like Sue Bird and Maya Moore and Diana on that next level, then okay. Like that's that's but I just know at the college level, haven't seen anything close to this to me on either side of the ball, other than like a very select uh, when I say either side, I mean men's or women's, either side of the game, other than a very short list, select few exactly. And that list entails some of the best we've ever seen. Obviously, she's that, but I think you can make the case that she's doing it. At a, this would be like if Steph at Davidson had them number two overall in the country. Yep. In February. Right. And they were a one seed in the tournament as opposed to the upstart that upset everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, so that, and that's again, I know I was in the Big Ten. So they are a group, you know, Power Five school, but it just, the, the their team, their team complements. Playing with Caitlin I Clark never remember watching well. an Iowa women's basketball but, game for but, any reason. But, but I can't name you a single correct. Iowa women's basketball prior, player ever. Prior to her arrival, it was not a program that we had any consciousness of having any sort of moment um, that I can really recall. So, yeah. Questions of interest in. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's off top, but what we're going to lead off with to this episode this week is going to mostly be a headline episode. Um, the award show is coming. We we need to, you know, it's it's a highly produced show. We need to make sure everything is in order. We can't just roll out awards um, willy-nilly. We really got to study the tape. We, uh, we know the season's done. I think the last part of the calendar is the Shrine and Senior and uh, those types of bowl and games. For prospects going to the next level which we'll definitely talk about that here um this is the only time we're looking at mock drafts i think is acceptable they they do mock drafts year round in a way that's just like it's ridiculous um because you don't know the order for the nfl until a certain time and then also who's declaring who's not it's a fun exercise but um i want to use that to transition off top to be journalistically responsible and say that I was a victim of what a lot of people last week when we recorded were victims of, which was not true reports, or I guess false made to be or look like they came from Caleb Williams, but indeed were not the idea that he was declared, not going to officially declare until the Chicago bears moved off their first initial pick. Um, which was in line with another fake or not verified uh, report from him or not him, which was those list of teams that he would play for, right? Remember that before earlier in the season, there was a list of teams that he would play for. That apparently was not verified, not from him. But again, a very consistent theme of no Bears, no Chicago Bears, because it it was, um, you know, the Panthers were so bad, it was clear from the beginning that they were going to be in the running for a top spot, that pick, because they're so bad. Not only are they so bad, but they're stupid. They traded last year's pick to get 
Bryce Young instead of CJ Stroud, despite what their football people told them. David Tepper stepped in at the end and said, I don't care what the people I hired to do the job say. I want Bryce Young. They took Bryce Young. They gave up a pick to do it. So their pick goes to Chicago. But uh, apparently that earlier in the season, the list of teams wasn't true. His dad saying, you know, there were teams you weren't going to play for. That wasn't really true. His dad never said that. And he didn't say that he wasn't going to declare unless the Bears traded off the first pick, despite the fact that he officially declared two days later, I think two days after that, not really him report came out. So it just a very interesting timing there. As we talked about, if that was actually him, would that be harming his draft stock and the Bears' ability to trade the pick in any way? You you definitely asked that. Um, so that timing is just interesting. Uh, the report that may or may not, again, have been true about him wanting to own a percentage of a team, which is just not like you're not able to do that and that, whether or not that was true. I just want to talk about briefly like i'm here to just say it wasn't true i said that that was coming from him or at least i talked about it as if it wasn't being responsible here that's not officially from his party what officially is from his party is he declared for the draft and what is a fact is that happened within Mm -hmm. yeah that's confirmed and it's confirmed that that happened within 24 to 48 hours of the not (laughs) confirmed report about him not uh essentially wanting to play for the Bears. So I just want to talk about how is it him, Caleb Williams, why so much? I could go conspiracy version or I could just pretend like I don't have, not conspiracy. I could pretend like I don't think there's like certain reasons why this keeps happening or I could just take everything at face value and ask like why Caleb Williams, why does it keep being fake reports surrounding him? about him not wanting to play for this team or I want this or I won't do this, like just kind of making him out to be more or less this diva special larger than life prospect that you, I can't remember the last person that kind of all this, well, I mean, I can't remember, but it was for different reasons, but just what, what do you think this all, like, why is it keeping him? No other prospects have to keep fighting this and I know we're in the age of people putting out fake information for profit, but it specifically keeps happening to Caleb Williams about very specifically similarly themed things. Like what like why do you think this keeps happening? Yeah, I don't I don't know about why. I think it's really unfortunate. Um I think as an athlete now, you have to you're forced to Take control of their own narrative surrounding your career. And um, I think with Caleb, people know what people want to believe about Caleb. So folks trying to be intentionally deceptive or poison the well, if you will, will put out things that sound like what people want to believe, which then forces Caleb to have to issue statements and do things maybe before he wants to, or before he was ready, just so he can clear his name up. Um, and as a, you know, someone who is concerned about, I know his brand, that's something that he has to do, but it's, it's really unfortunate that his, his hand is being forced. And you could say some of this comes to the territory of being um, a top prospect, being a top uh, future pick, but 
Uh, you you want to see people acting in good faith, and uh, that seems to not be happening consistently with him. And I just, it's yeah, I I I just wonder why it hasn't happened b- before with any other prospect. And maybe is this just is he in the height of this fake? unverified Twitter, what's real, what's not, era. Um, but he's the most visible prospect. Or, yeah, I like... Because of rules. Like, we haven't seen before top NFL picks in commercials sure. while they're in college. Yeah, that's... Is it that? Is he the first... Is he the face of NIL athlete, the first athlete who's making millions already coming out into the draft who's going to go who happens to already have a Heisman already has money and deal is going to go number one so I think he is a polarizing and interesting prospect for that and part of it's not really like it this is not a theory or conspiracy I just think that if if we were just doing the on the field conversation about Caleb Williams it's I mean there's nothing to knock. He's he's your number one overall prospect. There's no drama. You're just going to show amazing footage. You're going to talk about all the reasons he's going to be amazing. You're going to talk about why either the Bears trading for him or trading fields and drafting him is a good idea or why other teams should trade up for him. Um, you're going to talk about him like you did Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck. And uh, I, I don't I don't. I don't instead what we're going to do is talk a lot about the off field stuff. I get that not even off field. Like I feel like the conversation about Caleb Williams after USC started losing stopped becoming about how great he was at football and started becoming about anything ancillary outside of football. And then these, and and so I just feel like it's not a. I don't know if it's. I think too, that part is familiar though. Yeah, I the guess. The to tear you down that that idea. People, are, I mean, and that happens with but, every top prospect. Also, people, but nitpick at the but, end. But but Drake May's teams lose lost the whole way, and were no less less serious than USC. And I guess he is maybe again. No one knows what Drake May looks like. He's not in commercials. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. he's not. He's not in commercials. He's not the face of anything, which to me, I'm just like, well, I, I just, I, I don't. It's just, I, I found, I find the way that Caleb Williams gets talked about and treated because if he, if he could have gone to the NFL last year off the Heisman, he would have been the first overall pick. There would have been no negative conversations. He would have just got drafted. He would have been a Panther, and you know we would have seen how the season have went. I feel like coming back to college, all it did, even though to me I saw clearly not only is he you know as good as he was last year, I saw signs that he actually improved upon certain things despite being on a way worse team. Nobody wants to talk about that. It's it became about how after the second loss, he's crying on the sideline with his mom and just wants to cuddle with the dog. And then it became about whether he should stop playing for the rest of the year. And then it came about whether he was going to come back or not. And then it was these fake reports. It's just like, I, it, it's a weird 
place that he exists as what I believe to be one of the best draft prospect draft prospects I've ever seen. And as opposed <clears throat> to just talking about him like that, I think there's just a there's been a whole bunch of other conversations that I just find fascinating and it's distracting from what I think the main conversation should be. Yeah, we this is not this is a, a similar but not the same conversation. I felt that about other players as well. We've we've talked about like Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. For some reason, there are some players where people seem to go out of their way to create narratives about them that have nothing to do with their ability to do their job. Yeah, it's like why? Why is that? Well, we could we could definitely have an honest conversation about the black quarterbacks have to defend far more things. This is not just on the field, but off just in general. Probably you yep. could say that their white counterparts who are equal uh, in terms of production on the field and my example would be look at the way we talk about Dak Prescott look at the way we talk about Kirk Cousins both of whom have accomplished the same amount of nothing um, in terms of how we view playoff success both have had statistical prolific regular prolific, season regular yes yeah, statistical prolific high, impressive regular seasons they both got to playoffs on teams that had won divisions or were very good or had won 10, 11 games, and they both failed in playoffs to win, quote, unquote, the big one and have failed to perform and have had bad performances. Uh, but the way we talk about Kirk Cousins is totally different than the way we talk about Dak Prescott. Part of that is the Dallas Cowboy element of it all. But we saw it with Russell Wilson after one bad season. We saw how people quickly turned. Uh, he had a fine season this year and still – uh, Sean Payton was a part of the perpetual issue of just turning and having um, unnecessarily negative things to say about his person, not the play, but the whole kissing babies and all that stuff as if Drew Brees wasn't Mr. Let me kiss your baby for 15 years in New Orleans. Um, it was just odd. You can't ever he, see, he, you can't refine Sean Payton undressing Drew Brees on the He sideline. immediately, yeah, he immediately took an, a, before even playing any football, took to just, you know, critiquing Russell Wilson's person, not even just, not even the play. So we got there super quick. Um, so yeah, that is a thing at all levels. It's a thing in college, it's a thing, and there are more black quarterbacks in college, so it manifests itself maybe in a different way. But in the NFL, for sure, and I've, I've talked about this with the more black quarterbacks that there are, the more you're going to see how they are held to a certain standard and other quarterbacks, their white counterparts, get to exist in a way that, you know, I, 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 want, I want fairness across the board. So, like, I just – we need to just say the yeah. same thing about Dak Prescott that we do with Kirk Cousins – which right now, Kirk Cousins torn Achilles. They're talking about should the you know should, who's going to pay money to get him? Who could he maybe be a quarterback away option for? And then Dak Prescott. It's like should the Cowboys move on from him? It's just like for what? For who? To get who and to do what? Like it's just it's wild how quickly. Not that people aren't like yo, you need to move on from Kirk Cousins or Kirk Cousins has a ceiling because he does. And maybe you could say that about Dak. And that's Dak fine. Prescott. But it's just like yeah. how how they talk about Dak Prescott, it suddenly becomes 
a narrative about his inability to win or inability to lead in a way that gets him in a place where should he be moved on from in a way where it's like Kirk Cousins will get paid $30, $40 million coming off an of injury doing the same amount of nothing. And we all like him because of the quarterback show and he's a family man. He's cool and he wears chains. You know, he's, he's a dork with chains on from his teammates on the airplane dancing around. Like, <laughs> they'll find, you know, yes, the narrative and the race element of it. And I tried not to bring race into things when they aren't there, but obviously the treatment of quarterbacks along the color lines despite the improvements for maybe opportunities, marginal improvements, we know um, just the double standard that still exists. And so I just feel like we're seeing differently, it. With, talked we're, about differently, we're paid seeing, differently yeah, times. Yeah, we're seeing yeah. it with, we're, we're seeing it with Caleb. Last year's draft was a really interesting example of all the good quarterbacks were black. And the narrative of that draft was we don't know if any of these guys are good, even though they were all really going to college. We don't know if any of them are good, um, which fair Bryce Young only because he's a tiny person. I feel like it was fair to be skeptical about that. CJ Stroud. Okay. He could have flaws as most prospects do, but obviously look at how he was talked about versus look at what he became, which is what I would say is probably the best rookie quarterback we've ever seen. And that's not how he was talked about coming in. Um, Black quarterbacks always have to defend their intellect and their work ethic. Yeah. More the, so than their the, white counterpart. The, the same trope. That's the, the thing that I'll say. Yeah, the same old school tropes, like the same way I, we talk about. Uh, the perfect example, I still think about this. I think about it even more now because Jameis is in the news every weekend for saying or doing something hilarious just because he's funny by nature. But Jameis was the perfect example coming out of college of one of the most cerebral quarterbacks that they had ever seen. And he came out a year or two after Andrew Luck. I remember how much they talked about that about Andrew Luck and how little they talked about it with Jameis Winston because they chose to focus on Jameis's off-the-field decision-making when they talked about decision-making and intellect, perhaps, and did not talk about how he was a whiz on the whiteboard or one of the like, blowing NFL nope. scouting. Great Dude. athlete, big, big arm. They tried to make him body. they tried to make him uh yeah. a a more uh mobile or even gave him more sneaky uh mobility than he even had, which was not something Jameis necessarily could do. So uh, you know, they even tried to black quarterback him into mobility that didn't necessarily exist before they were given the the brain power. So I just feel like, you know, that I, I I that looms over the way I look at how they talk about Caleb Williams. It's the reason why I feel like Michael Penix and you know, like Bo Nix, Michael Penix. Feel like Michael Penix probably is a better NFL prospect. I feel like him and Bo Nix, I feel like he will be drafted not that far away from Bo Nix. I know um, he wears a do rag, so yeah. Well, you're, you're ready for though for that to come too. He wasn't he wasn't the face for college. They already made that clear. They went out of their way to not um give him love. But yeah, I just think about that with Caleb. I, I just but I did want to start. It was mostly just starting with an apology. I, I'm not gonna do any more. I, I've made my Caleb case clear, but I just wanted <laughs> to be responsible 
for the article that we saw that was incorrect or that I saw that was yeah. not official. He's officially declared. We don't know what the Bears are going to do. I don't think we're going to know for a while. There's still a lot to be sorted out in terms of the draft order. The NFL season is going to have to wrap up. All these coaching and GM hires are going to have to get made. Those things will take place, I think, and eventually we'll get to talk about actual draft and who is going to go where. But just wanted to clear that up. Let's well, get... I don't know if we need to move on to other things, but I think we'll know something very – not it won't be definitive, but I think we'll know a lot based on if Chicago sires Cliff Kingsbury or not. Yeah, that's that is in the, that's definitely one of the rumor mills. That they've, I think they interviewed him. I believe that he's, was, he's being interviewed. I yeah. believe that was reported. So, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. And now, what I would say about that um, hire is, regardless of what Chicago does, and then we will move off NFL stuff just because that could turn into a whole show. Every time I hear one topic, we could move to another. Um, that hire speaks more about the importance of we're keeping Eberflus, who's a defensive guy. Whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Caleb, Drake May, anybody, the OC hire needs to hit. Like, we got to nail the OC hire because we're sticking with a questionable Eberflus. But his thing is defense, and the defense in the back half of the season certainly improved, especially yep. when they got um, after the this, this trade for Sweat, they got even better. So... You got to give them the year. I, I'm with it, but they got to nail the OC hire, whether it's a new quarterback or whether it's to get Justin Fields the best out of him if they decide to keep him and trade the pick. So I, I'm not reading too much into if they go in that direction just because I feel like they were going to go in that direction or a similar direction, like a, a, a somebody very proven on the offensive side. And I think Cliff Kingsbury – who was, while not a good head coach, proved it in college, proved it in the NFL, it proved to be a good offensive coordinator everywhere he was. So if you could get him back at just an OC role, then, you know, I, I like that. So I don't know what the Bears are going to do. I've said what I think they should do, but um, I don't know what they're actually going to do. But let's get to college. So let's do what we do. Um... Next up, I got Ryan Grubb. I, I I hinted at this last episode that that was Kalen DeBoer was going to take him with him. I'm bringing my luggage and it's Louie. And in this case, that luggage was Ryan Grubb, the OC. And I said that because just re in knowing the history of those two, like they they have come up together. They've been at multiple stops together. They built this thing together. They're kind of a pairing that you don't like I say you don't want one without the other but part of why I felt confident saying yeah Ryan Grubb's gonna be coming with him is because the Alabama hire I felt like was probably contingent on we want Ryan Grubb too you guys are a duo like we don't want one of you without the other because we don't know for sure that this is gonna work at all and we've never seen you without Ryan Grubb so we want the package duo and just the way that those two work and game plan and game call. Um, it seems like a chemistry that you needed to keep together in this hire from the Alabama standpoint. So that was significant. 
the staff that he's built at Alabama, DeBoer, let's just focus right now, is that is significant. Um, he hired Kane Womack out of South Alabama, left a head coaching job to come be a defensive coordinator. Um, but that is like, that's a recruiting play, if if nothing else, right? That's a move to get somebody who knows the state of Alabama and is rooted in the Alabama high schools and the SEC network. So he did that. He kept the running backs coach, Robert Gillespie, who's an Alabama, you know, Ed was already on the Alabama staff. Also, Freddie Roach, already on the Alabama staff. So he kept an Alabama contingent, and then he brought his wide receivers coach, his OC, O-line coach. So, like, he brought the best of his staff. He kept a base of the Alabama staff and recruiting kind of pipeline in place. I feel like it was a great balance of both. And I, I'm sure some of the Alabama people aren't happy, but I don't know – like how much more you could ask for in replacing, like we said, the guy who's irreplaceable or you could never actually replace. Yeah. They're losing a lot of recruits. They are losing recruits. They're losing. Which is why people aren't happy. Good players on the team right now. They've lost Isaiah. I don't know if that's part of the plan or whether they're okay losing these folks and trying to build a different culture, but they're losing a lot of talent right now. And so they deserve to have a chance to figure this out, but it's that is immediately concerning for me that they haven't been able to keep some of the best players on the team together yet. Yeah, they've lost some, which was inevitable. That was going to happen. I'm not going to happen. I, I'm not going to panic. The interesting part of this, I don't know how much we talked about it last week, but what happens now? So. And I, it's funny, the only name that I had heard for Washington, Jeb Fish, was who they ended up hiring. And the domino effect of this, so Saban leaves, 30-day window opens up in Alabama. DeBoer comes, 30-day window opens up in Washington. Jeb Fish comes, 30-day window opens up in Arizona. And I was just reading a little bit, just, it's 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 obvious, but I don't, it's it's. It's so obvious. It's, again, the NCAA and their terrible calendar. But when these windows open up, after everyone else has already kind of made their decision, more or less, you now have a 30-day window where only one school's players are looking to transfer. And on one hand, your options might be limited because of when your window's opening or just where you can now go based on the other transfers who have gone places if you're looking for playing time and NIL deals and those types of things. But then the other part of it is if you're one of those top percent of players, players who have transferred already out of one situation to another situation, thinking that their new situation meant more playing time, what if all of a sudden you're like a tight end or a running back who transferred to one of these other schools during the early or regular transfer window because at you were going to be the starting tight end. But now Alabama and Washington have transfer windows open and a tight end comes from one of those schools to your school. And now you're back up again because they just got a better tight end or a better whatever position. So it is a ridiculous time for these kids to maneuver in terms of the decisions that they're trying to make and yeah 
how and when in the 30 day window when your coach leaves. So I I'm I'm not too concerned about Alabama and the talent drain yet. I'm more concerned, not that anyone cares. I'm more concerned that Arizona is going to fall right back into the irrelevancy that they were before Jeb Fish did what he did. Uh, Jeb Fish had a top 25 recruiting class for 2024 at Arizona. That's unheard of. And, I mean, if you're Washington, I'm sure every – no fan base is happy about the coaching hire when their coach leaves. By the way, let's just put that out there. So no matter who the hire is, somebody's unhappy. But um, if you're Washington, I would be happy about a guy who just brought a top 25 recruiting class to Arizona. I would think that he could do that or better at Washington. So I would like that higher. Um, but I, I understand all schools involved. Alabama, obviously, freaking out over the saving loss. Washington losing DeBoer after getting to a national championship and now having to settle for what they feel like, settle for Jeb Fish. And then Arizona being like, well, now we're going to stink again, probably, um, because that was a you know rare thing that just happened where we were good for a little hot second. So it's just interesting dominoes on that front, how um, if, like we said, if it wasn't uh, Grubb, Ryan Grubb staying at Washington, where do they go from there? And to go... Jeb Fish, I think, is a good hire, but of course, there's going to be plenty of Husky fans, Washington fans, that are concerned that they're losing a bunch of talent, and that uh, you know Noah Fafita did not come to Washington with Jeb Fish, and a lot of the Washington players are staying, and 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 or the Arizona players are staying, and Washington players are portaling out. So no one's happy. The portal is a crazy place, and I just wanted to address that domino effect that has now led to uh, potentially Washington and Arizona, you know, maybe just having these cool seasons and maybe not being ever at these levels again, but we'll see. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. You know, who's not hemorrhaging talent right now? Michigan. Uh, I was going to say Ohio state, but Michigan, <laughs> because their whole approach <clears throat> is we want a very specific type of guy. And even with their coach and a holding pattern, yeah. Maybe people who just want to go to Michigan just want to go to Michigan. Maybe it's not about Jim Harborough. Maybe they'll go from Moore's there. The maybe brand they, is so maybe, strong. Maybe they went when Brady Hoke was there and he just wasn't a good coach. Maybe they went when Rodriguez was there. He just wasn't a good coach. I feel like, yeah, the Michigan brand might just be the brand. And you either have a good coach that's going to get the most out of the brand, you know, out of the players that go there, or you're not. I don't buy into this whole they started recruiting a new, better class that's how they got like able to be ohio state and alabama like i just i don't buy that it's just not true like they recruited the same people they just started winning and we have to ignore that there's a sign stealing scandal that was alleged to have happened during that three years that they started winning yeah something except for that too i, I would have thought though i would have thought alabama was a similar place and i guess we'll we'll see but we've been hearing about Alabama being at the top of the sport for so long. They have such a culture. Um, 
the people felt similarly, but I guess some of it's just the draw of Dick Saban, and that's what folks are thinking about. Because some of the people that are transferring too, talking about starters, we're talking about freshmen, not both folks in danger of losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. They're leaving because Nick Saban is leaving, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, Caden Proctor, left tackle, starting true freshman at Alabama. Iowa, he's top right. tackle, went to Iowa. Now he's from there. He had verbally committed or was committed to Iowa basically until the last second. Ended up going to Alabama, which how can you blame him? Like, you're from Iowa. Okay, you want to go there. They have a history of tackles. Nick Saban, Alabama comes. You're going to start as a true freshman. You go to college football playoff. He leaves. You go back to Iowa. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it was going to happen. Um, you obviously had players that specifically cited Nick Saban wanted me to come play here. Nick <laughs> Saban's not there anymore. So I'm going to go play somewhere else. And that that was obviously going to happen. This is not a direct comparison. But Coach K retiring at Duke, followed by John Shire, was a specific hire because John Shire is a recruiting animal. The... Biggest concern for Duke was less about finding a guy who could coach as well as Coach K, because that's impossible. But they wanted to make sure that whoever they put in his place was going to make sure that the Duke brand of five-star recruits every year, top two, top three class, was not going to fall off. And John Shire has done that. You could talk about the X's and O's and on the court, him as a coach. Separate conversation. He was hired to bring in five star top draft, uh, top recruiting classes. He's done that every year since. He's got the top class next year. Like, that's what he's going to do. Kalen DeBoer, I could say, was hired less for his X's and O's, though he's a really good X's and O's guy, him, him and Ryan Grubb. I would say, I could say less for that and more so for showing his ability to build programs at lesser places. And so if we give you the Alabama resources and talent pool and the first two years, can you recruit like that and build like that here? Not even build, but just reload here. And I think that's the hire that they're kind of banking on. I think it's more a recruiting hire in this instance. And so I I think we have to give it more than obviously the first portal out and in time to see what Kalen DeBoer really is as a recruiter. But that's just my view on this is that they're looking at him as a recruiting because Saban was X's and O's genius and a recruiting madman. So I think they were thinking at least let's make sure the guy that we get loves recruiting, right? Side note, but kind of related. UCLA, Chip Kelly doesn't, I I can't confirm this, but it doesn't seem like he likes recruiting. And so they're going to lose out on a a lot of these top recruits. Like it seems like he likes coaching, but he don't really like recruiting. And the NFL is kind of better for him for that reason, even though he wasn't as good there. 
But um, just that you like, and you mentioned this before, like the job now in college is you have to love recruiting. You have to love catering to mm -hmm. 16, 16, 17, 18 year old high school students, which for a lot of these coaches with super egos and power and all that stuff is like, I'm doing what now? I have to cater to who? And, and then they're going to portal out anyway. I don't want to do that. I'll just, I'll just get them in the portal, right? There's a lot of coaches there that's like, I'll just wait. So they are, you know, a little bit older and a little bit less about kiss my ass. And it's more just straight business about what can you do for me? What can we do for you? Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that's going to be the development that we watch out at, at a lot of these schools and with a lot of these new hires, Michigan, when Sharon Moore takes over. Now I heard a little rumor. I want to just drop this in here. I know we're kind of meandering all over the place. If Jim Harborough goes to the NFL, which I think he's going to the Chargers, so that hasn't happened yet, and it's been a week, and I'm waiting for some of these predictions. <laughs> some of these predictions I'm making with coaching, I'm going to make some more NFL predictions, and none of them have happened yet. But if Jim Harborough, this is just something I saw. I'm not, this is not a real report. This is completely rumored, but let's see. It said if Jim Harborough goes to the Chargers, it's possible that Michigan looks to hire uh uh, Brian Kelly away from LSU, and if I saw they, that, and if they do that, that LSU would look to hire Lane Kiffin. Did you see that part of it? Did not see Lane Kiffin part of it. Okay, so this was the whole chain. It was Harborough leaves Michigan if it doesn't go to Sharon Moore. If Michigan looks to bring in Brian Kelly, who seems like he'd fit in perfectly at Michigan, quite frankly, with just for a number of reasons. But um, if that were to happen, if then Lane Kiffin would go to LSU, that I like. Lane Kiffin at LSU, I really, really like. Because at that point, you're talking about a guy who's coached at Tennessee, Ole Miss, Alabama as a coordinator, and now LSU. And I just kind of want him to run the SEC gambit. <clears throat> he seems genuinely happy at Ole Miss. I mean, we don't obviously don't know the man. Yeah, the, I would gonna, wonder why he'd be interested in the LSU job and not be interested in the Alabama job. I think Ole Miss, the money's going to run out. Remember that whole potential they're borrowing money, their NIL collective, and yeah, because because what they're doing is portal winning in the portal with great NIL bar like you know NIL opportunities, and if again another speculated report <clears> if. <throat> They are indeed borrowing money for their NIL because they think they can, you know, pay back loans when their team is generating more money because they have better players. If that circular ass argument is indeed the structure behind their NIL, it's bound to collapse at some point. And so I could see Lane Kiffin, like it's just it to me, like he does seem happy at Ole Miss, but I think the LSU is an ex. Just it's a better job. It's a top five job in college football, um, still to me. And I think the evidence of that is you've seen three coaches win, one of whom we don't even know if he's a good coach or not if he's a good coach. I don't know how good Ed Ogeron is versus that team was one of the most talented teams we've ever seen. But they went from Ed Ogeron, who won one. 
They won one with obviously Nick Saban's good, but Les Miles. Snuck one. has he has he's good on vibes. Yeah, he can like he, main, yeah. he can maintain a vibe or create a vibe. Yeah, until he ruined the vibe with his behavior, I guess. Um, but then, I mean, Les Miles won a champ. I just think that the the LSU job, top five job in college yeah. football, still. And I think if if Lane Kiffin, if they came and asked him. For you know, would you leave Ole Miss for LSU? That's uh, all speculative. The only part of that I think for sure is you know Harbaugh goes to the Chargers, but um, it seems I've 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 seen to be on the beat of Jerome Morris gets that job for a while now, um, and I would like to see it. Would like to see a brother of Michigan, but and in the spirit of hiring ex players, I have no idea if he's interested in coaching, but they should hire Charles Woodson. Odd he was interested in getting back into coaching? I didn't see that. I said I have no idea if he is. Uh, Maybe he's not. He probably isn't. But if we're just doing, like, hire your old player, like, if we're just doing Louisville, like, look, Louisville did it, and in year one, Jeff Brom, Louisville, ACC title game, one win away from a a a, a New Year's six yeah, and they've won it bowl, here for years. bowl appearance, and they've been chasing. Yeah, they were chasing Jeff Brom for a while. They got him first year, boom. So you know, uh, just maybe there's maybe there's. Some I magic. think passing over Sharon Moore in any circumstance is crazy. No, I think they should him. hire him. They, I think they should hire him. The, the whole Jim, the whole hire Brian Kelly thing caught me completely off guard. It would be insane if they like, pass him over. Just because, like I said, LSU, I think it's a top five job. I Michigan, top 10, but I wouldn't say it's a better job than LSU. So why, if you're Brian Kelly, would you leave LSU for Michigan? But, yeah, I think that job is Sharon Morris. Let's move on. Let's get to um, – we. I looked this up. We're going to talk a little bit transfer here. And I looked this up, or I, I did look this up. I saw this stat, thankfully, because somebody was asking it in a, in a little mailbag segment. But it was something that we spoke about the – the the pie chart or the importance of a high school class versus portals uh, mm-hmm. recruiting in the portal now just because of how rosters are built so in 2023 about 20% of all NCAA uh football you know FBS rosters were comprised of transfers about 20% wow. um so it's a you know pretty significant amount in terms of percentage I would say it was a variance power five. It was, it, this was just all of FBS across the board. <laughs> the, the percentage of the roster made up of transfers across the board of all, I guess, 130, whatever teams, 36, however, whatever the number is at this point. Um, So it's not a small number, but it's also 20%. And it to me says, because of that, I would say probably you're getting a smaller percentage of that as starters. So I would say, again, it's probably most of the transfers, a very small percent of them are those top line starters that we talk about that really make a difference. I think a majority of them probably don't. And so we're talking that percent is 20% of the pie that we're talking about, like difference makers versus... Versus guys who just fill out a roster of that 20%. So that to me says you still got to recruit. Your high school class still 
matters, right? And I saw even another more recent, or not more recent, but speaking to that, the last two classes, top 25 players, of those 50 players, 36 or 38, I believe, of them are still at the school that they originally committed to. Mm. So again, not a huge percentage. Yes, there's a, you know, a percentage of the quote unquote top talent that's transferring, but it's still largely what that is telling me is you largely still need to build this thing mostly with a core recruiting high school class and you can kind of fill in the holes. I'm almost looking at it as drafting versus free agency at this point, right? You, you, as an NFL team, most of the positions, especially the higher the value, you need to be filling out in the draft and you can fill in the holes in free agency. And I almost look at the portal as free agency. I mean, it is at this point as free agency and your high school recruiting class is your draft. And the better you are in your recruiting class in high school, the less now people still transfer because multitude of reasons, but those numbers just told me, um, that it still does matter how good you are at recruiting and then retaining your high school class because it's going to make up a majority of your team. Well, that's it too. Like, I think so if, if those numbers hold, the reason to overinvest in the portal is if you're losing team members to the portal. But if you're actually retaining your high school recruits, then there isn't as much of a need to be in the portal as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you can actually then you can control some of this if you can keep your talent and make yeah. the job less complicated. And that's a big if, because like you just said, there's an element of this is not in your control. But you can you can shrink the job just to be about developing and maintaining the team that you recruit out of high school if you're not losing people. Right. Yeah, it's um it's obviously a new day, and I think that's a factor of why some coaches you're seeing rather than be head coaches at college programs would be positional or coordinator or assistant coaches either in the pros or you got the uh, Bill O'Brien going to Ohio State move, which I found interesting. I think that's kind of a Hail Mary there on both sides. Um, I think Bill O'Brien has failed his way. I did mention that. I was like, he's going to fail his way somewhere. I thought he might even get a head coaching job, but that he was going to fail from the Patriots to something. He gets to go be an OC with Ohio State, um, Ohio State is basically this whole offseason is do everything possible to avenge and beat Michigan. They're going crazy in the portal. They're going crazy in recruiting. They're hiring Bill O'Brien. Um, like this is Ryan Day's last stand. And I don't know if I want Bill O'Brien in my corner for my last stand, but that's that's the direction that, that he's going. But yeah, um, Recruiting news, Cam Ward, de-declared or undeclared from the NFL draft, which it was, there were rumors that he declared so he could see where his... um, Test the waters. 
Yeah, see where his draft stock was because you can do that now and return back to school if you wanted. It was Miami was 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 the dark horse candidate, particularly once it it seemed so. To uh, uh, Talea was going to be somebody there pursuing whether or not he was going to get that extended year of eligibility, which he didn't end up getting, was up in the air. So that made it hard for Miami to kind of plan around that. And there was somebody else, I forget, I guess Miami was pursuing a couple other players who chose other schools. So it opened up to where Miami was like the last school that was in the portal for a quarterback that didn't have one. Cam Ward was getting grades someday, somewhere around the second day and figured, why not? I'll, I'll go down to Miami, see if I can boost my draft stock. I don't know that he could boost it so much as being in a different draft class might just be better for him. This yeah, is a pretty, it's a numbers this thing. Is, this is a pretty good quarterback draft class this year. So I think next year, um, even if he doesn't necessarily have a more quote-unquote successful season, it's more opportunity to show some tape and you're in a class that is less strong at the quarterback position. It's not a weak one, but less strong. So that we said though, I think you and I are both on the same page that that he's a he was the best quarterback in the portal. So that's definitely a significant landing for again Mario Cristobal. I'm not gonna say last stand because they're kind of locked into that contract, but he needs a season to like they need to compete for the ACC. It's it's pretty flat and plain for for where the expectations are. They going should. In going into this year. They absolutely like should. They, they have Cam Ward mm-hmm. now. They've had two or three highly rated recruiting classes. They've landed some transfers. They got a tight end who's coming back for his ninth year. Shout out to you, Cam McCormick. Uh, they definitely need to compete. Not compete. The goal is win the ACC, right? You beat Florida State, win the ACC, and go from there. Um, I think anything less than that is a disappointment. I think another season losing to just mid-team ACC teams where then, not that they're not, because they are a mid-team ACC, mid-tier ACC school. That's not what they want to be. That's what they've been. But to to get where they're trying to go, they need to be the top of the ACC. They can't be behind Louisville, and they can't be blown out by Florida State, and they can't be worse than NC State, and they can't be – you know, they, 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 Clemson is, is down or at least not running the, the ACC anymore. Like, there's no excuses. This is it for Miami. This is the first time, maybe since what Ja'Cory Harris that Miami could say they have the best quarterback in the conference. So, the expectation should be high there. They need to deliver. Yeah, unless you want to give Stephen Ward is the best quarterback in the conference. Unless unless you want to give Steven Garcia the the nod that at one point he was the best quarterback in the ACC, which I don't think we would. Um <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably true. I mean, I'm just thinking for Miami like yes, I I agree best quarterback in the conference. Even, yeah, Steven Morris maybe. Um oh, he was never the best quarterback in the conference. No, I'm trying to think um if it's anybody else outside of Jacory Harris, probably not. And then when I was <clears> thinking of the other better quarter, other not better, other good quarterbacks in the conference, it's all we'll have to see what they are. Like we'll have to see Grayson McCall in year seven at NC State, or we'll have to see um, what's my man who went to Duke with Manny Diaz, uh, Nelson. Malik Murphy. Yeah, I'm sorry, Malik Murphy. We'll have to see what Malik Murphy looks like. Malik Murphy, DJU. Um, 
Yeah, DJU's back. We'll have to see. Yeah, it's a lot of we'll have to sees. Um, but we know Cam what Cam Ward did just last season. And so moving that over to Miami should translate very well. And he said workers everywhere he's been in his yeah. entire cross career and part yeah. of where to watch the state. So yeah, I know Kate, you know, Kate where Club, he is now. Kate Klubnik composite rating wise coming in was was the highest supposed to be the best quarterback in the ACC he has not proved to be that yet so yeah and it should have been it should have been DJU well it should have been he left it, he should have been it wasn't wow. he left had a better year in the Pac-12 than he had at Clemson is coming back now and so we'll see at Florida State with you know Norvell and how things look there um, but yeah, I would say Cam Ward is going to be your best ACC quarterback next year. And this, if this year isn't the year for, and we'll transition to Florida State since we're talking ACC after this, because if this year isn't the year for Miami, while Florida State's going what they're going through, um, then you know that I'm sure they're already asking the crystal ball questions. But it seems to be they're in the situation where like. They 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 raise a bunch of money to get aggressive in hiring one of these coaches that quote unquote matters, and then they hired a guy who's not a good coach. He's a good recruiter, but now they have spent all their money on him. They can't just do buyouts, and they don't have money to blow like a lot of these other programs. Miami's a private school; their collective is not oil money super you know what i mean they're not at that level so i feel like they have to have to convince themselves every year where it doesn't work out that we just got to get mario another year bring in another class we just got to next year is our year they've been next yearing is our year probably for like 20 years now at this <clears> point um but this year from our hoping that one day they can be like Texas and say we're finally back. We're finally they really just want that moment to be back. Or even if they could have the the season that Florida State just had, which is, you know, an undefeated ACC run. Um right. Like right. they they because Florida State for a while Florida State and Miami were both down and were both like you know, Florida and the SEC was on top. They were both trying to climb back to those glory days. And I think for Miami, having to watch Florida State win a championship 2013 um, and now work their way back to closer to the top with Norvell, while Miami has never played in has close. never they've never they've never played in a I think maybe one time but even maybe I'm wrong about that played in an ACC championship since joining the conference they joined like they joined a conference a long time ago long time ago um so yeah it, this is this is that year before it's internally gonna start to get hot for Mario Cristobal, and it helps that he's a Miami guy and played on those great teams in the 80s, because if he didn't, um, like, it would already be hot for him right now. Internally. Externally, we all laugh at them. Internally, they have to ride for their guy because it's just like, we have no other choice. Spent all our money. Didn't, didn't save Randy Shannon or any of these other guys. So. 
No. We'll see how long it gets. Yeah, no. I it, it, it I think the the only the the biggest thing saving Mario Cristobal, like I keep saying, is the amount of money that they committed to him in a way that none of those other coaches they didn't break the bank for Randy Shannon, right? So they 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 could move on from him. You know, Manny Diaz, they waited even longer than they wanted to before moving on from him, partly because of the money and he was getting paid a fraction of what Mario Cristobal ended up getting paid. So it's just like they committed to this guy. They got a ride with their guy. And, you know, it it doesn't help that uh, Michael Irving is hanging out with Dion and Buffalo and the rock goes to the Colorado game. Like none of their old players uh, are doing for the Miami program what some of these other old players at these other programs or what, you know, what, what players for other programs who didn't even go there have done for some of these other schools. So, um, it was the last time the rock went to Miami. Yeah. Right. Like the rock has plenty of money. I feel like the rock collective on its own, right? Like the, the, the rock collective could, personally fund one of the most lucrative NILs in the space. Um, I don't I don't know what he does or doesn't do. But I do know this year we saw him at a Colorado game and I can't remember the last time. I saw him at the Jimmy he popped out when they awarded Jimmy Johnson the Ring of Honor. When they told Jimmy Johnson he was going in the Ring of Honor for the Cowboys at the Fox pregame set, The Rock popped up on that to thank Jimmy Johnson for everything he did for him at the University of Miami, which was just promo for Fox because The Rock and wrestling and SmackDown and Fox. And it was great promo and anything famous and big, The Rock's going to be around it. But I haven't seen him around Miami. So it's but just... Also, it's, when's the last time Miami did something of significance? When's the last time college... Was yeah, he hasn't... There hasn't... They, they yeah. Exactly. They haven't given those folks the anything... Even if, like, that's the thing, right? You could look at Colorado and be like, well, what's Colorado done? It's like just off their hire, they made themselves interesting. Miami even tried to do that and got that wrong, right? They were like, we're going to make a big splashy hire. We got a bunch of money from a guy who now is being investigated by feds for where the money came from. But we got a bunch of money. Like, we want to buy a coach. Like, let's get splashy. Let's make a big splash. And they hired the one guy who we were all like, Ooh, uh, have you have you seen him get outcoached every year about Kyle Whittingham and 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 Dan Lanning and or I guess Dan Lanning replaced him, but uh it was always Kyle Whittingham who was outcoaching him. And Ben Kiffin. Yeah, like yeah. Like he just consistently had been in spots where it's like, how'd they lose that one? How'd they mismanage that one away? How'd they how'd they fumble this one up? So uh, Miami is the program that I think is the least likely to ever get back to what they remember being from so many years ago now. And And in fairness, in part because that's like an impossible standard to reach to. I think we're going to see fewer, and we talked about this, we're going to see fewer and fewer multi-year dynasties where a team just owns a decade like we've seen in the past. 
Yeah, and I mean, since 2000, though, right, when it ended for them, top of 2000, they've had to watch Alabama do it for almost 20 years, and then Georgia starting to do it. And then in between some of that, Clemson from the ACC does it. Florida State won one. Auburn does it. I think they've just seen, like, from your if – you're, if you're a Miami standpoint, you look at all these other schools, Oregon, out of nowhere. This Oregon, literally, when Miami ends – like Joey Harrington sparks this run of Oregon and Nike and Phil Knight being cool to where Miami would take that just being a 10 win school that, you know, has played in a national championship a couple of times wins 10 every year. Um, but yeah, I, you know, did, didn't want to spend too much time laughing at Miami, but laughing at Miami is it's, it, we need a team in college football to just laugh at. And right now, it's Miami, and now I'm going to be torn because I like Cam Ward, and I like laughing at Miami. So it's just going to be either Cam Ward's going to be so good he's going to keep us from laughing at Miami, or I'm going to have to laugh at Miami and you know and and Cam Ward. Let's move on. Derek King. Derek King had a. Maybe four game stretch. <laughs> the best player in the conference. The sure. best quarterback in the conference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could say Tyler, Van, Houston. Tyler, Tyler Van Dyke had a quick stretch where he was the best. Like his freshman year, he might have had a quick stretch where he was the best quarterback. And that was when Miami had like, oh, we found something here. And he got worse every year, which then people started questioning, is Mario Cristobal not just not good at developing quarterbacks, is he good at ruining them and and making them worse? Because again, Justin Herbert better as soon as he's away from that guy. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke worse the more time he spends around that guy. So it just bears monitoring. We all saw how good Derek War, uh, Cam Ward was coming in before Mario Cristobal. If all of a sudden he can't stop turning the ball over and is making poor decisions and doesn't know how to read a defense. Um, you know why? We'll have enough evidence. Let's move on. Let's move on to the more important part of the ACC or the more interesting thing going on in the ACC right now, Florida State. Um, I will save a whole episode for the NCAA versus lawsuits. We'll get to that at some point. But Florida State, ACC, ongoing beef. We have a couple of developments. So first, I will start with them getting popped for – uh, you know, connecting a potential transfer with the NIL collective Shaking Spear. I believe that's what it's called. Not Shaking Spear, Raising Spear. Shaking Spear would be a little bit more problematic potentially, but I think it's Raising Spear is the name of the collective. But basically, you can't, uh, you can only have actual enrolled students meet with the boosters and head of collectives. You can't have potential transfers, people in the portal who are not enrolled yet, meet with them. It's very arbitrary and stupid. The whole thing is, obviously, anything with the NCAA is. We need rules. We need a commissioner. We need to address all this. But the interesting fallout from that, to me, was... They have to disassociate. Florida State has to disassociate with that collective for three years. The booster that him has to be 
uh, disassociated with for a year. Um, they coach who was a part of it. I believe his name's Alex. Who was Alex Atkins? The coach who was a part of it is suspended for the first three games. Uh, he has a two-year show cause against him, which is somewhat significant because it impacts him and being hired going forward. And any yeah, because I'm getting a head coaching job, any, which he's yeah, definitely any, in line for. Any yeah, any jobs going forward now, like you know, it's it's essentially kind of like a red mark on your record. Um, and it also Florida State's losing up five scholarships uh, and owes. $5,000, which is stupid, but 1% of their football budget to the ACC, which I wonder exactly, or to the NCAA, rather, which I wonder who is, does that have to be public? Is that on the books? Who is in charge of determining what the football budget, who reports what that number is to the NCAA so that you know what 1% of that is? Um that's just an interesting tidbit of the punishment, but the ban from the collective for a while is for three years is definitely significant. Losing scholarships is somewhat significant. The show cost for a coach, very significant. Like, I just feel like this is stupid because what, like, what is the point of these NIL and the collectives and part of the reason people are transferring because of those opportunities. If you cannot discuss said opportunities before making your decision, it just doesn't make any sense to me. That's, I, that's like being a free agent. How do you think this happens? Like how like, it's, like, it's like being a free agent going to meet with three different teams, but you're not allowed to talk about how much they're going to pay you. You can just talk about like what's your role in our offense and look at our stadium, I guess, but you can't talk about your compensation portion of why you're doing all this. That that if I'm understanding that all correctly, somebody has to make that make sense to me. I mean, it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just like what the NCAA is choosing to make an issue. It's been known for years that in the NBA, for example. Negotiations don't start when the when the deadline opens up. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that things are being discussed. Numbers are being thrown out there. Things are being um, tentatively committed to. The NBA knows this. And they have chosen to say, we know this is happening. It's not that big of a deal. Handle your business. Because otherwise, there'd be no way at... 12 on one Eastern, we see deals being announced. Yeah, it's like you mean they didn't right, get this done in 30 seconds. You mean right at the deadline, a four or five year, $85 million deal didn't just get negotiated? That's in the last mean. 30 seconds, yeah. it did not. I mean, that didn't happen. So, the, yeah, the NBA what is, doesn't happen is when uh, when announced, when those announcements are made, maybe it isn't lost in investigation. How did y'all get this ironed out so quickly? Because it's stupid. Yeah, the NBA's recourse has been in the rare instance where you essentially were so blatant about it, like they popped the Knicks for it with Jalen Brunson. There's been a couple other teams and examples where you were so early and so blatant that we have to pop you. But yes, essentially they can't legislate and monitor agents, parties, representatives, people talking like how, how, how are they going to realistically 
legislate that. So yeah, I, I think the it, it's just it's interesting on one hand that I mean they're just they're just they're, everything the NCAA does is just so slow. They're so slow moving. They're slow moving to get to NIL and now they have it. Uh, they were slow about the transfer stuff, and now they have it. But as this stuff evolves, and you know, the NIL space and marketing space just being completely unlegislated, and like they're they're trying. But this is why we need a the NCAA needs to go. We need a college football commissioner. We need players to be employees so they can collectively bargain and agree and form a union and have compensation and have insurance and have medical coverage and these types of things. Like we we will eventually probably slowly but and help create and agree to these rules. That yeah, right now that's the biggest to. part of yeah, collectively collectively bargain the the power to collectively bargain these things that are just imposed by a body out of Indianapolis that just sits around and does nothing. <clears throat> Those that has to go. And we need this multi-billion dollar business to be run like a business. All right. We need business people in <laughs> charge. We can't have a nonprofit organization making arbitrary rules based off of a model that in its mission statement still has the word amateur and doesn't want people making money still, despite this NIL stuff, which is really just outsourcing payment that should be from the television partners and the schools and those folks. Instead, it's just making you know, boosters and other people pay that money that so they don't have to. It's all messed up. Um, and this is just another example of just arbitrary, just coming in, $5,000 fine, 1% of a football budget, five scholarships, uh, three years you can't talk to that collective anymore, but only one year for the actual booster. I don't understand that at all. So you can talk to the booster in two years, but you can't associate with the collective itself for another year after that. Doesn't make any sense at all. Two years of showcase, uh, three-game suspension. for the, It's just like the... How how was that in their mind? I'm just curious. In their mind, how is that more or less egregious than the Michigan uh, recruiting dead period violation COVID stuff? Which I don't believe. I don't believe there's any show cause there for that. I don't believe it was a level. Two, I believe it was a lower level violation. So maybe that's how, but it's just, it's so arbitrary. Like I just, I don't, I, I, I just, nothing the NCAA does at this point is truly for the good of the game. It's all just a legal battle from their standpoint, knowing that they are fighting no less than eight or nine lawsuits in court right now all basically saying you need to this this model has to go away you need to pay these kids uh not just now moving forward but like back pays with some of these class action lawsuits going after some of the tv <clears throat> dollars and some of the media rights deals which could mean 
like bankrupting the NCAA when it comes to paying out all these people if it were to ever get to that. So it's just uh, it's frustrating to watch that the only time you hear from the NCAA is when they're reacting to something kind of to save their ass and never the 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 proactive the proactive thing they're doing is trying to talk about this subdivision nonsense as if uh, you know it's as if it's not too late for that i guess because it seems like it's too late for that yeah the other place they're losing for me is the headlines here betray what the most important subjects are like we were making a list of the 10 most pressing issues facing college athletics right now this might make the list maybe but there are so many other things that this body should be figuring out to make college athletics more equitable, more profitable, a better game. And they just spend so much time and money and litigation on stuff that just doesn't seem to matter very much comparatively. Yeah. I mean, they, the amount of money that they have to pay these lawyers is insane. And I guess that's what happens when you're a nonprofit that gets paid a lot for very little. Um, but on the on the heels of that with FSU or with the ACC or with FSU and the ACC, we talked earlier about or in an early episode about FSU versus the SEC versus the ACC, them challenging the grant of rights, trying to figure out how to potentially leave the conference or earn their rights back. They're losing 30, 40 million dollars a year to their other power five counterparts. Uh, it's only going to get worse. And now, and I guess it's it didn't just happen. It happened a day before the FSU filed their lawsuit against the ACC. So the ACC filed a complaint preemptively against Florida State, saying that they are a conflict. They are you know it's a conflict of interest for Florida State to seek to end this grant of rights because they have benefited from it. The rights have they've made, you know, their money has increased over the last nine years within this deal. This deal is something that they wanted and signed and have been benefiting from. And by openly talking about how they want to leave the conference, they're devaluing the conference. And it's um it gives me the energy of you can't break up with me. I am dumping you on both both like it seems like both sides are just playing that game of you can't quit you know you can't fire me i quit that whole side of of things um well, you even get to juices part because yeah. the conclusion they came to was therefore florida state can't be involved can't in any participate in, can't participate in acc meeting. yeah you can't participate yeah. in acc related conference activities so they're trying to bar them from participating in ACC in ACC competition. Um, so their yeah, their response to Florida State was basically like, "Oh, Florida State, you want to leave? Well, how about you can't play in any of these things? How about we bar you from this thing that you say you want to leave anyway? And then let's see where you're at. Then what are you gonna do? This whole thing is messy. This whole thing just leads to lawyers." And litigation, and the only people who are going to win in this case are the lawyers on hourly billing, um, because there's no 
clean way that this at this the way that this thing is going there's no clean way that this gets resolved and 2036 is a long time from now that's when the yeah. actual that's when the actual grant of rights deal ends so that's just the other part of this it's just like one one thing seems certain there's no way things can just stay status quo or as is until 2036 but also how this ends it's uh, obviously not amicably but how this ends in a way that doesn't completely either the dismantling of of a conference either the ACC dissolving or Florida State just losing a bunch of money cuz Florida State's whole thing is we're losing money based off the deal we're in but part of the way out of this mm. for them could mean they have to lose even more money in the short term to at least hopefully find a long term more lucrative uh partner and it's just that that's not a that's not a guarantee because we talked about geographically where they go what conference a new home where does florida state make sense to get added and would they would that conference want to pay to buy florida state out with the very very high buyout from the acc this is a it's going to be interesting to watch play out I, I don't I don't know that we have any new developments or that I have anything new or different to say other than 2036 is a long time from now and there's no way it doesn't end messily and cost probably both parties lots of money. I mean, I think the way that it can end amicably is because to your point, 2036 is a long time. So let me back up. Right now, this is personal. Yes. FSU and the ACC both feel personally offended by how the other party is moving. Mm-hmm. And it's not just institutions. We're talking about individual people, mm-hmm. right? There are some broken relationships that are at play. So I think this could get resolved when the individuals who are at odds right now are no longer in these jobs. And folks who have less attachment and are cooler heads actually steward this and get something worked out that actually makes sense. But no, until then, this is, at this point, I think, deep-seated and personal, and no one's going to want to feel like they lost yeah, whatever that even is here. And so I think this is like a situation right for folks just digging their heels in on principle. That's a good point in terms of the personal per, being it being personal um i do wonder yo is it possible okay if new people step in is it possible that we get to a place where the acc could and florida state can negotiate a buyout for less than what the 130 or whatever the hell the ridiculously high number it is now to leave is there a world where they could end end up settling a amount that florida state pays to buy their way out of the acc that is acceptable to both sides is that is that an amicable is that like the most 
amicable way that this is resolved? Like, what is your, in your yeah. view, like, is that it? Or is, is there, like, what is the most amicable or best way for both parties? Because obviously I, I know what the other side wants out of the other side, but what's the best way for both parties realistically? And is it that, is it agreeing to a buyout somewhere more than what Maryland paid all those years ago, but less than the ridiculous amount that it's currently set at now? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think I think some of this starts with just some honesty on all sides. My opinion on this is what makes this difficult is that both sides are overplaying their hand. The ACC unquestionably is a less valuable conference if Florida State leaves. Florida State is probably the premier school in the conference. Yeah. Uh, the top football school, arguably, probably the number two basketball school, arguably. Like, they they bring a ton to the ACC, well, and there'll in, be a huge loss in, if they in, in brand, yeah, football, yeah, in brand recognition, basketball, I <clears> guess <throat> they're probably three. Duke, UNC are going to always be your one and two. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think Florida State would slot in right after them, especially more recently. So you have that, right? So FSU, I think their back to the conference is undeniable. Yeah. On Florida State side, while they have tremendous value to the ACC, like we've talked about in previous episodes, they don't really have anywhere to go. That's Yeah, that's the thing. So they can kick and scream all they want to about how much money they're losing. But let's say they're released. You can't point to me a better conference than the ACC where they can actually go to. SC doesn't want them. The Big Ten doesn't want them. Mm. They're not going to the Pac-12 because it doesn't exist. So we're we're talking about the AAC. And they, they submit, yeah. The like Big 12 talking, maybe? At that point, talking Big 12 or a lower, you know, a, a, a group of five conference which is like is that really and and i don't know and the thing then becomes because who knows what year we're talking about this as let's just say we're in a world where um you know the aac has a deal with youtube or amazon to broadcast all their games for more money than the acc is getting paid out in their current old school ass structured deal um, I I don't know. Do does Florida State <laughs> at that at that point? Are you okay taking a dip in conference prestige if you're getting into a better business situation? Because they they flat out almost ruled flew, flat ruled out the idea that they would go or be an independent. Because in my mind, I was in my head, I'm thinking like, could they do? you know, what Notre Dame tried to do with a peacock or the, the streaming service days are coming, right? The, the, the soon Absolutely. will, soon will be the, all of this conference, all of this team, whatever is all available on Amazon or Apple TV or whatever the case. So, I mean, I don't, 
know why. I mean, I do know why. I get the challenges. I fully understand it. But if if you're looking at if, if Florida State wants out, they it seems like they want out more than they are concerned about where their next home is. It seems more important. It seems more important to them that they are out of this than they find a new home, which is interesting because the reason they got locked into this bad contract in the first place was because they were more interested in anything than having a home than not, you know, than being left out at the time when they signed this deal all those years ago with ESPN and ACC Network. The fear at that time, the reason that they did do it was because they did not want to be left out. They did not want to be the school going somewhere where the games weren't on TV or they weren't going to be seen, not realizing that just a short couple of years after signing or re-signing the deal, that the whole landscape for television, broadcast, sports, all that was going to dramatically change. And so I feel like now they're going, you know, their reaction is the, the to respond to that, which is like, we just got to get out of this. We'll figure it out after that. Um, which is why it's just like, are they willing to leave their rights behind to get out of the conference? That doesn't make sense if this is about money. So I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they do. I, I don't, I, if, they're, if going independent's not an option. No, right? then I don't know. Their brands not that that not that good. Yeah, right. their brands good, but you you know like you're not you're not Notre Dame, and even Notre Dame could not do exclusively Peacock like they really wanted to. They had to still start putting at least half of the games on NBC. So yeah, I. Um, but that's but this is the other problem. I, so I actually think to answer your initial question, I think they're better actually together on both sides. Mm-hmm. But what that will require at this point is for the ACC to swallow some of their pride and say, all right, you should stay and we'll give you a more competitive revenue split based on your value to the conference. The reason why that's probably not going to happen is every because other, every other school has to agree to that and they're saying just more or less fit everybody's face. Yeah. So, so after all this that Florida State just did, we're going to give them more money and receive less for our schools. That's but also happen. then incentivizes Clemson or Miami to do the same or Louisville. Well, or the thing is with some of those other schools, yeah. and we talked we talked about it. Some of those other schools have a leverage card to play that Florida state doesn't UVA as ridiculous as this sounds, has a leverage card to play that Florida state doesn't, which is, Big Ten or SEC football, do you want a footprint in the state of Virginia? Come yep. get it. You know, come get it. Um, and what our academic profile. And, and I was going to say, and UVA can add, which sounds ridiculous, but not ridiculous. It sounds antiquated now in the way that we're really just, this is all big business. But they have an academic profile that they can offer. And that that is something to be considered with with these other schools. So yeah, if it got to a point where they talked about the because they're already doing was it SMU and the other schools that are joining the ACC for the first three or four years, they're mm-hmm. giving up their revenue just to have a home. They're like, we don't even need it. Like we would like it, but if it means we get to be in the ACC and not you know, left without a home, like Oregon State and 
And Washington State ended up being and having to strike like a pseudo deal with the Mountain West and half independent, half not, and fight about where their revenue splits go, all that stuff. To avoid that, those schools joining the ACC said, we will take, you know, we'll we'll take the L short term to get this conference home, even knowing it's the it's the deal that you got the jewel of the conference trying to get up, out of right now. They were still willing to come join it. But yeah, you're going to have a hard time convincing the other schools that Florida State should get paid more because they are, you know, quote unquote, more valuable or or the better program or whatever. Um because then those other schools are going to sound a lot like the ACC when they start saying, well, no, they signed this deal just like we all did. So they can't you know, come complain about it now because when they signed it, right, maybe you know, they, they, Clemson could say when, when, when this was re-signed, we were the best thing in the conference, right? We had back-to-back you know, national championship appearances, won a title, multiple Heismans, like – you could say at any point throughout this deal um, that benefits or hurts certain teams. So I don't think we're going to see that, but I, I just, yeah. I don't, and also if you reward it, what stops Duke from saying, actually, we're the best brand in the conference? Yeah, you could, because, I mean, their basketball revenue probably is – or their the you know, what that the value of what they are in basketball is greater than the value of what Florida State is in football. I would say it like that. So you're incentivizing other schools to rethink yeah. their value and potentially yes. go the same route. Yeah. And SCAC is not going to want to incentivize or set a precedent. So this is a tricky situation. It's going to get hard to be resolved. Yeah. I'm interested to see. This will be another one that we'll watch to see how it plays out. But it's 20, uh, 2036. It, it's not going <laughs> to stay like this till 2036. That's almost like the one guarantee, I feel like. And that'd be more complicated if Florida State messes around and wins a national championship. Sure. Um, I feel like this all got esca- uh, accelerated this year because they missed out on the college football playoff. And we, I think yep. you mentioned, you mentioned that that like Florida State's moves it, right after that. It's like, yes, it's bad business, this whole deal and all that, but it just seems like the way that they moved. Like, had they had made the college football playoff, would they have moved so quickly on all of this stuff? I don't know. I think eventually they would, we would arrive at this point and we'd be in this exact same place. But I think it accelerated because they were they felt snubbed in part because of their conference being viewed as being weaker, not just on the field, but also how they do business and their brand and the strength of the brand of these schools not being what the SEC and a Texas, or in this case, is really just the SEC, who Texas is soon to be. So I think, yeah, I think that accelerated this whole thing, and we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, and that's like the personal side of it. I also got the sense, and this is not like speculation from like people I've been talking to, that Florida State was frustrated that they didn't feel like the ACC was lobbying enough for them and like had their yeah. back when all this is going on either. Yeah, yeah. 
we talked about that a little, I think, in terms of not campaigning enough um, as a conference and what in terms of the bowl, not just the college football playoff, but the bowl placement among all the other schools. There's a lot of unhappiness with the powers of the ACC and their member schools would just uh, maybe more so the old garb than the current with just how they did business or lack of business savvy in some of their dealings and just watching the gap between the Big Ten and the SEC grow on them. And I, I really do think it's probably, we'll wrap up soon here. I want to get something a little bit lighter to wrap up with, but they probably, I think part of this is looking and seeing and they can't live in a world like a Florida state can't live in a world where Northwestern or Purdue or Indiana are out earning them simply because their conference does better business. That I feel like must drive them insane, right? Because it's one thing Alabama, Georgia, you know, Auburn from time to time, even in the Texas and Oklahoma, there's certain schools, Michigan, Ohio State, there's certain schools and certain brands where you look at how lucrative it's going and the size of those endowments and their programs, and you understand that that is a certain neighborhood and those schools and those folks have always lived there. But when the world changed and Illinois and Vanderbilt and those types of schools start earning not just more, but like way more than Florida State did, I think that was probably when the wheels started turning of, all right, I know we signed this thing a few years ago, but we got to, this has to change. We got to change this. So. How it changes, we'll see. Let's wrap with... Let me just go through my notes here, make sure there's nothing else that I want to touch on before we wrap. I wanted to talk about Pete Carroll. He didn't... He's. I don't know. He might really be done coaching, it appears. And I just briefly wanted to appreciate... His ability to do it at both levels in a way that very few have. I feel like we maybe touched on it on the end, but I thought he might get a new a new opportunity. Seems like he's going to stay at the advisor role with Seattle there or kind of a front office role with Seattle. Um, so that's interesting. But just salute to Pete Carroll, who I feel like if he still wanted to be coaching somewhere, could still have success in college or the pros. And that says something for somebody his age. I feel like he's also the godfather of the NIL back before it was called <clears throat> the NIL. Yeah, I mean, he clearly has desire, clearly has energy. I'm curious to know, like, so why, why are people trying to hire him? I don't know. I, I don't know. Is it, are they not trying to hire him? Did he, is he not? going after jobs. Um, right now, as I have it, I feel like the Chargers are going to hire Harborough. I feel like Bill Belichick is going to end up with the Falcons. I feel like the Titans are going to hire Bobby Slowick, especially now that the Texans run has come to an end. I think they want to go offensive mind there. I think he's been somebody who's excited people. 
I could see the Seahawks going with Mike Vrabel, who kind of strikes me as a younger Pete Carroll in a just in the in an energy um, enthusiasm can kind of get the most out of whatever you give him sense. I feel like that's kind of been Vrabel's calling card. I could see him in Seattle. I could see Washington going with either Eric Bieniemy or Ben Johnson. I'm seeing way more, like I'm. I I thought the Eric Bieniemy, like being the head coach, kind of the coach already being in the building. I thought that was super obvious. It would be like once they moved on from um, Ron Rivera, that the all the talk would just kind of build to yeah, they're just gonna hire Bieniemy, but. It really hasn't. That's not what we're hearing, though. Yeah, yeah, it really hasn't. Like, I'm just kind of throwing his name in there because he's still there. And, like, I, I still think he has to internally be a candidate. But I'm more inclined to think they're going to go Ben Johnson. Uh, Is he interviewing, and, though? I also haven't heard Vietnamese being a lot of other interviews. I think. This I, cycle. Yeah, I, I haven't heard his name come up anywhere else. I don't even – I haven't necessarily heard it even come up. Like, I heard Ben Johnson just did his uh, – I think it was a virtual one, but he did an interview. that. So they just hired um, Adam Peters uh, over in Washington, GM. So he's in place now. I heard they just did a virtual one with, um, with Ben Johnson. I don't know. I don't know what it is with the enemy. Seems like we hear more uh, hard-on players – hard like that that seems to be more of the why doesn't he get a, a an opportunity and more of the talk seems to be like is does he coach too hard is he too that that's the only like because there's no other because if you just look at what he's done what i see is he made sam howell the league leader in passing yards and for a second touchdowns and yeah he threw a lot of picks but he's freaking sam howell like he had he had sam howell at the top of, of stuff and it's Sam Howell. So I just you'll see reports out of Kansas City saying they really miss yeah he was his part of leadership that. of course and his approach like some of what they're experiencing now is Vietnamese is all about the details attention to detail and accountability yeah. that's not really Andy Reid's thing and so all these you know drops and wide receivers not blocking and the stuff we're seeing now people attribute to Vietnamese not there anymore well, to hold people accountable. Yeah, no, that was the talk throughout the year, and now that talk's gonna go away when they're back in the Super Bowl again. Like I, I've thought it. All I've been critical of their ignoring of giving Patrick Mahomes receivers, but I also have been laughing the whole way through, saying, "But they're still probably gonna go to the Super Bowl because this is, this is a, uh, this is just the next phase of the dynasty." The same way the Patriots yeah, started as the a, best player in the game. Still, we can't. Yeah, over yeah, that. it's it's still Mahomes, and you know, but yeah. So not to do too much NFL analysis, but that that one's just interesting to me. So it seems like some of these jobs are getting word or at least a vibe on who it might be. And then other ones like Carolina, I have no idea. Um, not that I really care. Like that's the one job. It's just like whoever gets that one, good luck. Um, maybe that's where Ben Johnson goes. I don't know. Mike McDonald, uh, the D coordinator for the Ravens, someone's going to hire him. Maybe Washington. Maybe Seattle, you know, Dan Quinn might get that job too. They might want to reunite. Don't know. Didn't really want to end with NFL talk. What I wanted to end with was um, a very real quote. I want Raheem Morris to get another shot too, but go ahead. Yeah, well, unfortunately, all these uh, 
you know, every time I see Raheem Morris's name, I'm just like, that's so sad that you just have to be the black coach that they bring in to say, all right, we Rooney ruled. We're going to go hire the guy that we want now. Because the guy that we actually want. Because it's clear that none of these, like, it, nobody's talking seriously about hiring him, which is sad, and they should. But him and Vance Joseph, quite frankly, if you just look at kind of court coordinators who have done stuff with very little and who have had coaching experience before. So I see certain names. It's just like, all right, we Steve Rook should be coaching. We, we Rooney, somewhere. we Rooney ruled. So we're moving on. But um, yeah. So we'll 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 wait for all that stuff. We'll talk when people get jobs. If there's anything interesting. Obviously, the Raiders hired Antonio Pierce. Might have thought I would have led with that. I was just more relieved than anything. Um, now I'm just waiting to see, are they going to keep Champ Kelly or what are we going to do with the GM? And I'm partly concerned because the word from Al Davis this whole time was they're going to hire the GM first and allow him to be part of the coaching search. And then, of course, true to form, they hired the coach and we still don't have a GM. Champ Kelly don't know if he's coming back or not. Um, so whoever the GM is will have had, unless it's Champ Kelly and they already talked to him, will have had no say on who the coach is. So right back to our Raider ways. Literally happy that we hired the guy we want, but immediately like that's not what they said they were going to do. This all seems very Raidery. Seemed They said they were going to hire the GM first, then the coach. They hired the coach and we still don't have a GM. Very Raiders. But let's end with college football. Let me end with something in college football. Um, I saw this on one of the message boards. This guy is very serious, and I'm sure there's a lot of people like him. Direct quote, you should be donating 10% of your salary pre-tax to ye Alabama. And that is the Alabama football program. So basically saying that your ties for church, dead that. Give that to Alabama and Caitlin DeBoer because they're going to need it moving forward to to not replace but without Nick Saban now the Bama people are like every dollar every resource every bit of free time anything you got pour it in to the program because we got to get Kalen DeBoer all the help he needs or all the help we could give him to replace the living legend with the statue on campus Nick Saban Lord 10%. We're past the point of no return with this. 10% is a lot. Sports. <laughs> 10% is, I mean, again, it's just saying just don't don't give your church tidings. Give those to Alabama. And then they will spend it on a portal transfer i guess i don't know because like they don't need no facility upgrades or i feel like all the material stuff they got that under control already so i guess it's just for the collective um i saw alabama had 215 dollar million dollars in revenue last year yeah, do not are. give any of your money to alabama so don't give your 10 percent tidings to ye old alabama they just lost their quarterback what's his name J jeremy super saiyan <laughs> he's uh something he's, like that he's going to ohio state ohio state's got a lot of people going there <laughs> this is like i know i said this and i'll end after this this is the year for them man they are the ryan day knows if i don't win this year especially if we don't beat michigan it's over for me um so they are all in on players and 
<clears throat> I mean, if you can't be if, – if Michigan loses their coach, a 30-day transfer portal will open there. Um, I feel like they might retain a good amount of players just because I feel like it's kind of – if he leaves, the Sharon Moore taking over has been such a known thing, and he seems like a big part of their recruiting anyway. So maybe they keep a lot of those guys. But um, no school am I more interested in how next year goes than Ohio State because of just the implications of how this year went and how three years of losing to Michigan went. I do want to clear up. I think I said Ryan Day never beat Michigan. He did. I mean, he 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 did one time. Um, he beat them in 2019. So. We'll give him that. Um, all right, we'll do the awards next week. Or, yeah, we'll we'll do them. We'll, it will be its own little 30-minute show. There are just too many headlines I wanted to get into today, so there's nothing, no football to talk. Um, but there will be plenty of off-season topics. We'll do the awards. We'll maybe revisit some past seasons. We'll have plenty of time to preview the next season. We'll have draft talk, senior bowls. Um, coaching hire, just one other one. Ken, I have to say this correctly. Ken Nui Matalolo, the old Navy coach, has and been hired. Told. Has been hired by San Jose State. To which my immediate my immediate question was: Does that mean that they have to run the triple option? But. He, he said in an introductory conference that I will be leaving that at Navy. He's been uh, he's been at UCLA, so he said he's been learning under Chip Kelly. He's got a little bit more of a modern offense that he plans to bring with him to San Jose State, so that's good news. His, bring it to Penn State. Yeah, saying well, it. to bring the triple option to Penn State, he's, he's bringing a modern-day offense. He's not bringing the triple option to San Jose State, so we'll see how that goes. He was at UCLA, um, where he was the director of leadership at UCLA, which that yeah, is a that. that is a great title. And this is how I led to so so someone needs to hire Connor the Stallions as the <laughs> director of espionage and scandal operations. <laughs> And just be like, no, that's his job. You don't understand. It's that it's all very above board. He's on the payroll to like infiltrate, gain access to info, and also all scandals. <laughs> all scandals will be ran through him. Like, what the, he's it's a paid position. It's all very above he's like board. The, uh, he's like, what's the what's the uh... <laughs> What's the Winter Soldier? What was that called? <laughs> He's like the the like group of assassins that can like do destabilize empires. Uh, the um the um the Hydra the, like, Force or whatever. The, the, the black uh the the um yeah Hydra. Oh no, the um people like the yeah, isn't it? Like you talk from like Marvel. Yeah, the yeah, hi, hi, yeah, the Hydra. They're, they're, the Hydra yeah, they're, Kill they're, Squad. They're, they're, they're the winner, he's a, one of the Winter Soldier projects. <laughs> they can take down an entire school before you even realize what happened. They can, they can infiltrate. <laughs> they were there. Yeah, they can, they can infiltrate. become any coach. <laughs> <laughs> they can become any coach, any AD. They can infiltrate any sideline, any program, any locker room before you even realize you've been hit. 
Yeah, he, he Connor <laughs> the Stallions hire him for head of espionage and scandal operations uh, because director of leadership. I wonder how much they paid him and what his job truly entailed while he was directing leadership. Now, to his credit, um, I, UCLA defensively. Like, I don't know. Maybe we should give him the credit for UCLA being good at defense all of a sudden because they were better leaders. Because we know Chip Kelly doesn't do defense. So UCLA wasn't good on offense this year. He's like, he runs a a modern, data-driven program. I'm talking about like tracking how much oxygen you're taking in. Everyone's wearing. Oh, yeah, okay. It was like bands around their bed to track your heart rate, hydration. So if he's directed a leash, I'm sure it's something something meaningful that was associated with that yeah well that was like director of player psychology or something yeah make sure they had the right mindset going into games well shout out to ken nui matalolo coming back to a head coaching job he did a great job at navy obviously while he was there um 10 winning seasons i think it was one over 100 games so he uh that san jose just State season this year is one of their better seasons in recent memory. So it's coming off of that, trying to keep that going. But I just wanted to end with director leadership because I think I could build a whole staff with just directors of blankety blank if we're just making up positions. And somebody needs to get Connor the Stallions on a staff, director of espionage and infiltration. All right. Well, we will holler next week, y'all, with some awards. Quick shout out, Major Applewhite. Just because I'm thinking awards, first team all name. Can't beat a name like Major Applewhite. He got the head coaching job at South Alabama. So we get to hear the name Major Applewhite back in college football again. I'm always here for that. I guess he was probably That's a coordinator. Major Applewhite. Probably been, been coordinating somewhere. I know he was at, um, what was it, Texas Tech or AM? One of the Texas. He was, at, uh, he was at UT, coach under Mac Brown. Yeah, he was. I know he eventually went back home. Didn't he start? He was either at Tex, Tech or AM before going back to Texas. Um, was at Rice. He was at a. Uh, yeah, Rice. Houston, that was it. Rice. It's like he was at a bunch of Texas schools before he went actually back back to Texas. Now he'll be a head coach. So shout out to Major Applewhite. Um, that's it. That's all I got. Other than Iowa had 14 players in the NFL this weekend. Since we're recording here on a Sunday, we're, we got we got Lions. And uh, Tampa Bay right now. And I saw that stat. The second only to Georgia, Iowa, 14 players in the NFL. So I love making How many Iowa. I, offensive I, skill I, position I, I love I love making Iowa jokes, but it's like at the same time, somehow they put people in the NFL, win 10 games. Uh, they got more white starters on defense than the entire SEC conference. But – 14 players in the NFL. I, I, at least half of them are on the Lions. and um, More than uh, yeah. their average point per game. Yeah, more than more than they score per game, players in the NFL this weekend. So shout out to you, Iowa. The powerhouse that is Iowa. And uh, we will end on that note, and we'll talk to you all next week. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace.